Okay, so starting with verse 9. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God, and Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under the heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind. Of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible. Gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Don't often start a message with a loaded question. But I'm going to ask you a loaded question this morning. A loaded question is one of those questions, well, I guess the easiest way to explain it is, men, you've had a busy day, you've worked hard, you come in and you just have some time to just sit back and relax, maybe read or or take a nap or whatever, and just as you sit down and you're getting ready to do that, your wife walks in and says, honey, do you love me? (laughs) Uh, some of you are laughing because you know behind that question is going to be another question or, or a job that, that needs to, to be done there. Uh, this is the load of question that I have for you this morning. What would you do if God came to you and said, I want you to build an ark? Now, that's easy for us, isn't it? Uh, we'd say, oh, yeah, I'd go out and build an ark for the Lord, but... Uh, That's kind of a loaded question because you and I both know that God's not going to come and say, I want you to build an ark. But what do we do when God comes and says, I want you to take a new step of faith? I I want you to have a change of direction in your life. Or I have a ministry opportunity and, and I want you to fulfill that ministry. Or I want you to take the message of salvation to your neighbor. What do we do in those moments? Do we say, yes, Lord? Or do we start making excuses of why we can't do it? Uh, What if God asked us a question like that? Noah faced a daunting task. I'm sure there was a lot of questions in his mind. How in the world is it possible for me to build an ark? How how am I going to accomplish this? What... uh, Maybe he didn't even understand what a flood was. I don't know. Uh, He faced a daunting task. uh, And yet, have you ever noticed how often the will of God is like that? 
He comes and he asks us to take a step of faith, but he doesn't give us all the details. He, he doesn't tell us how it's going to work out. He doesn't tell us what the results are going to be. He doesn't even tell us sometimes what the second step is. All he asks us to do is take the first step. And then if we take the first step, then sometimes he'll reveal the second step. But uh, how are we responding to the challenges of life that God brings our way? I want to look at that from the eyes of, of Noah and what was going on in his life here. The, the first thing that strikes me as I look at this passage is the sovereignty of God. It comes out of verse 13. Notice in verse 13 it says, Then God said to Noah, and he goes on to speak of the fact of the judgment that was coming. We saw the reason for that last week. We looked at the corruption that was in the world. We looked at the violence. We, we looked basically at a society that was self-destructing and was destroying themselves and one another there. Now, as we looked at that, we also looked at the fact that God is patient. God loves us. And God said it's going to be 120 years before the judgment falls. And with that in mind, I couldn't help but think of Second Peter chapter 3 in verse 9 where it says, The Lord's not slack concerning his judgment there, but he's not willing that any should perish. And so he was giving them 120 years to come to grips with what was going on in their lives, to, to come to grips with the reality of their sin, and, and to come to the place where they would repent and change and, and come back to the Lord. History bears out the fact, though, that there comes a time when God says, enough is enough. And when he must step in and he must act. I, I was thinking of that. I, I was reading Psalm 106 this morning in my devotions, and it speaks of the fact that uh, they offered their uh, children as sacrifices to idols there. And, and he said their land was polluted with blood. And God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to give that land to the nation of Israel there instead of allowing the Canaanites to continue to stay in there. And, and I couldn't help but think as I, I read that, I wonder how soon God's going to say, Enough is enough for America. We've polluted our land. We, we filled it with violence, with blood shed and so forth of our infants and so forth. I, I know we're a little more sophisticated today than they were back in the days of the Canaanites. But, uh, you know, we're losing that sense of sophistication. Just go back to New York and see some of the, the laws that they've recently passed there. Uh, uh, there comes a time, and there has down through history, where God says, I have to do something about the sin and the violence and the corruption. He did it in Noah's day. He did it in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you look at the great civilizations of the past, and, and God gave them a chance, but there came a time when he said, your, your days are up. I'm going to bring another nation in and, and start o over again. God speaks of judgment. Does he have the right to do that? We wrestle with that, don't we? If, if God is a God of love, how can he judge people? And yet he speaks and he says, my judgment is coming. I think we need to remember that God is our creator. He is the one who has created us. And in the very beginning of time, he gave some commands to Adam and Eve. And we have later on the Ten Commandments. They are not ten suggestions. They are ten commands. God expects us to walk in obedience to what he has revealed to us, to, to the word that he has given to us. And 
I don't know about you, but I like to blame my problems on somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. Not my fault. I, di- I didn't do it. It's, uh, don't put the blame on me. Uh, I, that's why I got married. I have a wife I can put the blame on. <laughs> uh, now, seriously, though, we, we, we like to blame society. We like to blame others. The fact of the matter is in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, God says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that's what he's going to reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap life everlasting there. God has set the bounds. Man has refused to live within God's boundaries individually and as a society. They violated God's order. And God says enough is enough here in this particular passage. Praise the Lord. He also took into account not just society as a whole, but notice in verse 9, he says, Noah was a righteous man. If you back up to verse 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man who lived out his life to the glory of God, and he experienced the, the, the grace of God, and the Lord comes to Noah at this point in his sovereignty here. That leads us to the task of Noah. What did God ask him to do? He very simply said, build an ark. Now, that's easy for us to say until we consider the details here. The size of it, uh, I, I realize it's given in cubits here. I'll, I'll give it to you in feet. I, I, I still remember just as we were leaving Canada to go back to the States, they were in the process of becoming metric. And, uh, you, you know, even today when we go back and visit in, in Canada, I, I look at the signs, the distances, the speed limits, and so forth, you know what the first thing is I do in my mind? I convert it back to our standards. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I know it's, you've got to multiply by five-eighths and so forth, but, but I'll do that because I understand miles per hour uh, better than I understand kilometers per hour there. And, and so I, I'm going to translate it from cubits to feet for us here. The, the basic size of the ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. That's if you use the small cubit. Now, a cubit was not the same. We have a ruler, and if you have a ruler and I have a ruler or a tape measure, if we measure off a foot, it's going to be the same no matter whose tape measure we use there. But a cubit was from the elbow to the end of the finger. And so that varies from person to person. It was anywhere from 18 inches, and that's what I based those figures on. It's anywhere from 18 inches to, in, in those days, to 22 inches, depending on the man that was, was marking off the, the measurement there. So it could have been up to 600 feet long, 100 feet wide, and 60 feet high. That seems like a big boat, doesn't it? Larger than, than some of our... Our, our modern day, day ships there. Uh, it seems awkward, but it turns out that it was, the, the construction was very seaworthy there. The materials that he had to use or to work with was gopher wood. Now, again, we don't know what gopher wood is, do we? Any, any of you work with gopher wood? <laughs> no, 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 never worked with it. I, 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 you may have, because the gopher wood was either cypress or the white oak. Any of you familiar with white oak? Yeah, we, we have that today, don't we? So uh, that, that's the kind of material that he was working with, and it was to be covered with pitch there. 
the design, we can only speculate. We know it was three stories high. We know there was windows on the top story. And we know there was but one door and only one door. That's all that God reveals about the ark. Now, why didn't he give us more details? I don't think he gave us more details because he's not asking us to build the ark. Uh, I'm sure he gave Noah the details that he needed, but uh, we don't need to know all of those details today. I I think he stresses the one door there to remind us of, of the fact there's only one door to heaven, isn't there? Only one way to heaven. John 14, 6, 2 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There was only one way into the ark, and the ark is a picture of Christ. And there's only one way for us to, to come to God and, and to have eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we get that picture borne out here in, in the very book of, of Genesis. He, he begins to set the scene for that. But there's a lot of unanswered questions here. How much time did it take to build the ark? Now, he's already said, I'm going to give 120 years. Did did it take 120 years to build that? And then the question that I wrestle with is, how did Noah finance it? That's a big project. How how in the world did he put it together? Uh, I I think as we think about some of those questions and, and who helped him, I think God was involved in the whole process. Uh, I I marvel as I look around this building. You know, it's been, Larry, remind me, $350,000 that we've put into this in a little over three years. How many of you know where the money came from? I don't have a clue. (laughs) <laughs> don't look at me. I'm not going to tell you who gave what. I don't even know who gave what. I, I, I'm thankful that I don't have to know that, that information. I would have to come to the conclusion that this happened because God was in the details. God was providing not only the resources, but also the, the, the technical know-how and, and so forth. And I think that's the way it was with, with the ark as well. When it was finished, I, I wonder if Noah looked back and said, how in the world did this happen? How did we get this far? Uh, and gave glory to God for, for what he had done in, in his life. Now, he may have had some tremendous help. We uh, look back over his genealogies there. Uh, Methuselah, the oldest living man that we know of, he died one month before the flood. And so it's very possible that he helped in, the, in this project there. Uh, his father, Lamech, died five years before the flood, so this could have been quite an extensive family venture here. They could have worked together on it. He, he could have had several people helping him in it, and then there's nothing to say that he couldn't hire help as well. And then you think of the technical information that must have gone into it. I think we're dealing here with an advanced society. When, when we look at Egypt, we look at the pyramids, you ever marvel at how in the world did they get them so accurate? How, how, how did they move uh, when it comes to the temple? Uh, we don't even know today how they moved some of those foundation stones from the quarry into the place where they were put for the foundation for the temple. It, it's a complete mystery to us. Uh, did they know something that we don't know? They probably did. And they used that technology to their advantage there. 
Uh, the question isn't, could Noah have done this? The question is, would he do it? Because if God was in it, and God said do it, it's doable. But it rests upon the shoulders of someone to say, I'm willing to do it there. We have in John 15, verse 5, the words Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You ever wrestle with that at times? Without me, you can do nothing? The the other side of that is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, again, I come back to my loaded question there. What would you do if God said, build an ark? And he hasn't said that to us. So what would you do if God says, I want you to work with kids? Or I want you to teach a Sunday school class. Or, or, or I want you to take the message of salvation to, to a neighbor. And we live in John chapter 15 if we're not careful. Okay, I can't do that. God said I can't do it. No, we live in Philippians 4.13. If God says do it, guess what? God will do it through us. God will give us the wisdom, he'll give us the strength, he'll give us the resources, he will provide everything we need that is necessary. All that he's looking for in us is for us to take that first step of faith. Are we willing to say, yes, Lord? You asked, and so if that's what you want, I am willing to do it. The task of Noah began with one step of faith. And that is so true in our lives, isn't it? So often he asks us to take that first step. But again, how do we respond? When we know he's asking something of us, we know what he's asking. Are we willing to say, Lord, I don't understand how it's going to work out. I I can't do that in my own strength, but I'm available. If you ask, I am available. Do we take that step of faith as, as Noah did? That led then in verse 17 to the judgment of God. He said, I am going to bring a flood of water upon the earth. Now, we'll look more of that as we move on into chapter 7 there. But uh, I wonder when God said that, did Noah understand what was going to happen? I wonder if he had some questions. In the, what, what do you mean you're going to send a flood uh, what, what, what do you mean that the whole earth is going to be destroyed? How, how is that possible? Notice it was not Noah's responsibility to figure out what God was going to do or how God was going to do it. God was the sovereign one here. God was the one. It, this was his responsibility. And we could ask, well, did he have the right to do that? Well, Psalm 30, or 24 says in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. It all belongs to him. So he has the right to do what he wants with it there. Uh, We have what we consider our possessions, our house, our car, our material things. And we assume that if we own them, we can do what we want with them. Uh, We're in the process of looking at moving, and uh, we're looking at a lot of things that we're saying, you know what? We haven't used it in 11 years. Do we really need it? (laughs) Now, that creates some arguments or or disagreements in our house. Uh, uh, I figure that box hasn't been opened for 
11 years. We don't even need to open it. It's, it's useless. <laughs> but I've been overruled in that. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we assume it's ours. We, we can do what we want with it. And ultimately, we belong to God. We're his. Does he have the right to do what he wants in this world? He certainly does. He created it. He made it. He's the sovereign Lord. And so he comes to Noah and says, this is what I am going to do. But praise the Lord as we look at that judgment that was coming there. The fourth thing we see here is the grace of God. In verses 18 through 21, he speaks, he begins to speak. I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark and you and your wives, your children, so forth there. But he says, I will make a covenant with you. We'll see the result of that covenant as we move into chapter 8 and chapter 9 there. What, what all was involved in, in that covenant? Uh, a tremendous covenant that, that he gave to Noah and his followers there. But it was an indication that God was still... In the midst of judgment, he was still the God of grace. He still was reaching out to his people. In Second Peter, two verses come, or verses come out of Peter. Second Peter, ch- chapter two. He says in verse five, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the the world of the ungodly. God, in his grace, preserved Noah there. And then in uh, verse 9, he says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Does he make a distinction between his people, those who are worshiping him, and those who are rebelling against him? Yes, he does. He's able to save those that put their faith and trust in, in him. That's one of the reasons I personally believe that the Lord is coming before the tribulation period. I, I, I believe the rapture occurs before the tribulation starts. In Romans, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it, we have these words, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And I think what he's saying in that is, in his grace, God will see those who love him, those who have accepted him as his Savior, safely home to glory. That may be through the process of death. It may be through the rapture. But we can rest in the fact that God is still a God of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so can we. Not only did Noah come safely through that experience, but so did his family. So did the animals as, as well there. God sent them two by two. And then notice he sent some of them by sevens. Now, it's not quite clear whether he meant seven individual animals or seven pairs of animals. Why did he send so many of, of the one kind? They were the clean animals. They were the animals that were acceptable for sacrifice. And so they were going to be needed there. Because let's face it, even though Noah believed God and, and was a righteous man, there, he still needed a sacrifice for, for, for sin as well. And God in his grace made sure that there was an adequate provision for forgiveness and, and for cleansing there. And, and we will see that sacrifice as Noah comes out of the ark there. But God in his mercy, God in his grace has provided 
an opportunity for you and I to have continual fellowship with himself. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he planned that before the foundation of the world. God set a plan in motion that would bring you and I to Jesus Christ, that, that would make it possible for us to have eternal life. We like to think that we have it because we chose him. We were chosen by him long before we even came on the scene. He chose us to be part of his family. That's all part of the grace of God, and I think we need to celebrate God's grace and realize that it's not just for us. It's for anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that places a responsibility, and I go back to my loaded question again. What would you do if God asked you to build an ark? What would you do if God asked you to take the message of salvation to a neighbor or to a family member? Would we do it? Recognizing that they need the grace of God the same as we did? Are we willing to share Jesus Christ with those that that need to see him today? Well, that leads to the obedience of Noah. Verse 22 here. It said, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. I like that. It doesn't say that Noah understood everything that God was asking him to do. It doesn't imply that Noah knew all the details. It doesn't imply that Noah knew how to go about building that ark. It just simply says that God said do it, so Noah took the first step, and he began that process. That's a, quite a challenge to us. As I think of Noah and all that he went through in building that ark, I think of that him Amazing Grace. I, I'm sure we're all familiar with Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. Uh, uh, the, the verse I was thinking about from Amazing Grace was verse 4. And I don't, you didn't put that up there, did you? Okay. It, verse 4 says, Through many danger, dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Tis grace will lead me home. I like that. Have you been through some trials? Or maybe I should rephrase that. Are you in the middle of a trial today? Are you going through some of those snares and, and, and toils and you, you, you just wonder what in the world is going to happen? You need to stop and remind yourself grace has brought you safely to that point in time. And guess what? Grace will see you through it. Grace will see you home. He will give you the grace that you need to go through that trial to the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it costs Noah uh, financially, uh, ridicule, maybe even some opposition. People took exception to him. Uh, maybe they thought he was crazy. Uh, he had to wrestle with the temptation. Well, everybody else is, is gone the other way. Why can't I? And, well, God says, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I want you to build the ark. And uh, we, we need to be, re- respond to that. A step of faith is not always easy, but it's necessary. It's necessary if we're going to experience the the grace of God. I don't know what it cost Noah, but I do know what he gained from it. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 7, we read these words. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. In other words, Noah didn't understand 
what was happening, what was coming. I hadn't seen that. In reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He went through all of that, and the result was the salvation of his family, the salvation of the animal world that we know of today, but also he became an heir of righteousness. And today he's home with Christ in glory because of the the faith that, that he exercised there. Have you ever noticed as you read scripture that God does not promise us a bed of roses in this life? As a matter of fact, in John chapter 16, he said, in the world you will have trials. You'll have tribulations. There will be battles along the way. There will be things that we face. That Life is not a bed of roses today. The trials are real. John 15, 18 through 20, he speaks of the fact that if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. He said, don't take it personal. If they're rejecting you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting the one that, that, that sent you there. But uh, uh, I realize we have those today that are preaching, you can demand whatever you want from God, and and he's obligated to give it to you. I don't find that in Scripture. Uh, What I find in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, we have the story of, of Paul, and he had a thorn in the flesh. And remember, three times he came to the Lord and said, Lord, remove this thorn. I, I, I don't want this in my life. Do you, do you have some things in your life today that you're telling the Lord, I could just as soon live without the pain, the heartache, the the physical suffering, or whatever it may be? Uh, Lord, I, I'd just like you to take it completely out of my life. Three times the Lord came to Paul and said, no, I'm not going to take it out of your life. That You're going to go through this. And, and But I like what he said in verse 10. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. If I ask you to go through this, I will go through it with you. I will help you through this, this to the glory of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to sit down someday with Noah and hear him say, or ask him that question, oh, was it worth it? All that you suffered, all the work that you put into it, what, what was it really worth it? I got a feeling Noah's going to say amen to that fact because he's home with God in glory. And because he obeyed, he, he was saved not only in this world, but it, he became an heir of righteousness as well. And then we go back to the question, if God asked us, would we do it? John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Has he asked you to take a step of faith recently? Maybe it's an area that he's, he's got a job that he wants you to do. Maybe it's something totally different. How have you responded to his question, to his command in a sense? Have you been complaining? Have you said, Lord, that's too difficult? Lord, you can't expect me to do that. And God is saying, do it, do it. Are we willing to take those steps of faith, even when they seem impossible or or difficult to us? Are we determined to do what he asked in his time and his way? Or are we wasting our time 
arguing with the Lord, saying, Lord, you don't understand. You, you don't know what you're doing. And yes, he does know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's asking us to do. He knows exactly what the future holds for us. And all he says is, take the first step of faith, and I will be there with you every step of the journey. So as we, we think about that today, I have a feeling if we went around the room this morning, we would find that God is asking something different of every one of us. That step of faith for you is not the same step of faith that he has for me. God doesn't ask me to build an ark. He asked Noah to build an ark. God doesn't ask you to do what he asked me to do, and he's not asking me to do what he wants you to do. He has a different plan and a different purpose for every one of us. But it's the same principle. If God asks, are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll do, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. Just help me to take that first step. Is he asking something of you today? And you know it deep down in your heart what he's asking. Are you willing to say, okay, Lord, I don't understand how it's going to work out. I don't understand how it's going to happen, but I'll take that first step today. Let's pray. Father, we just want to pause and say thank you that Noah was willing by faith to build an ark. Not understanding the why or the how of it. All he knew is you said, do it. And he began to do it. And you led and you directed. Father, for each one of us today, perhaps there's something different in our lives that you're asking of each one of us. You know what it is, and we know what it is individually. We don't know what it is for our brother or sister. But Father, give us the courage to be a Noah today. Give us the courage to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that song moment by moment. You've got some of the details of it in your bulletin, but it'll be up on, on the TV in front of you there today, moment by moment.